Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Welcome to the show, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Atkinson CISO here at the Center for Internet Security. What I'm going to do today is talk about a couple topics um, that we're going to have guests upcoming, but I wanted to set the stage for some of these elements, and I thought they were important enough to talk about uh, as really a predecessor to these shows. And the first really starts with the thought of artificial intelligence. And we've seen a lot of information uh, coming out of the media, coming out of research, academia, and industry, and uh, are really aligning to an element of AI and cybersecurity and a disruptor uh, within our industry. And one of the main impetuses of this particular uh, element of change is ChatGTP. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard of it. There's been a lot of work in this space and a lot of speculation about what it does and uh, how disruptive it's going to be in uh, certain industries. Uh, for one, um, is with respect to software engineering uh, and development. And uh, ultimately, the ChatGTP base was utilized as a codex or the codex uh, data set in terms of informing its ability to code. And it's a very interesting proposition that we've seen. And if you have played around with it and suggested elements to build functions into code, and it, it produces those in multiple languages, it's, uh, it does set a new precedent, as it were, in terms of our interaction with technology. And you know, you move into the space of uh, where we get into the theoretical of, of these types of systems with the natural language processing capability to pass the Turing test and you know uh, respond back in kind in terms of can you tell whether or not it's a machine versus a human that's providing necessarily the response. And we've had great success in this space in terms of, oh, ChatGTP does, uh, GTP3 does pass this respective test. And think about now the future capabilities. It's in this research mode that we see it in now where it's been open to so open AI has provided it to everybody really to to test and, and look at the capabilities in the space and use that input really crowdsource that input to to make the overall system better and uh, had a lot of fun interacting with it um, one of the other elements that uh, we wanted to review is uh, you know how does this affect cybersecurity is is this going to be an element, a capability that can write signature based on the fact that it sees detections and can look at anomalies and really review those and help build and scale a capability in this space. And I think there are possibilities here uh, that we see. Um, I reference multiple articles throughout um, this space, but really as we're looking at the uh, type of assessment here, it's really about building an underlying story with respect to uh, security. So think of an incident, uh, and we have the the logs, the telemetry in order to understand that uh, that incident, and we can ask ChatTP, well, what was the initial vector of infiltration? What was the ultimate um, uh, element to capture in this approach? What was the uh, data that was affected? What systems were attributed to this? And those things are, are very useful in terms of being able to not necessarily write a query within a, a SIM tool or within a, a database, but being able to ask that question and 
receive the telemetry back, receive really a clearer picture and an understanding from the system itself. So there may be an element of automating security incidents. It also brings into effect um, that the there could be the utility. As I mentioned, there was an underlying code base that was used as a data set, uh, codex, I believe, uh, in order to uh, inform its capability of coding. But then does that lead us down an avenue where we could see malware being developed through the system? Again, there's an underlying ethical line that it may not cross in terms of what has been coded into what is fair. But if you ask a specific question in a specific context, could that be bypassed in terms of um, you know, writing software that potentially could be malware or uh, have malicious intent? Uh, ultimately, uh, it's to be seen and uh, the utility of those types of capabilities are really something we need to uh, take a look at. Uh, again, there's... Um, far afield, fictionalized approaches to utilizing this capability. Uh, but we've got to add a sense of realism, uh, but also that this technology is uh, not necessarily slowing down. I think the utility that has been seen and the investment, I think we've seen that Microsoft has invested uh, heavily into open AI. Uh, and what this will mean for the future is the, uh, the cost to run this particular system on a daily basis is in the millions. Um, they're not doing that just, you know, out of the goodness of their heart. There, there's an underlying reason why this is going to be integrated as a technology in our future. And so we need to be aware, we need to be prepared, we need to understand. And sure, we need to tabletop or think outside the box in terms of the exercises. Uh, but this will then allow us to move in a direction that integrates uh, really the, the machine learning aspect or the, the smaller component of artificial intelligence into uh, our respective uh, daily lives uh, as professionals. So we move from there. So we'll be talking about AI in the future. Uh, it's going to be a great topic. I think there's a lot to consider in the space and a lot of expertise that we need to integrate into really understanding the capabilities that exist, um, how far those capabilities can be taken and thinking about what we want to do and harness those capabilities in the future. The second topic that I wanted to discuss um, is something that we've seen in the industry, spe specifically high tech, is, um, is really the term layoffs. And what we've seen is um, a lot of larger organizations starting to, um, uh, you know, in the tens of thousands, uh, lay off high tech workers. Uh, really in big spaces. So you, we've we've seen kind of the you know the uh, uh, the large organizations in this space laying off respective people, and it's an underlying reason as to why does that help um, other companies be able to take uh, you know highly trained uh, individuals and bring that talent into uh, an organization. But is it a reactionary shift to uh, macroeconomic factors? Is it looking at the economy and saying? Um, you know, we were going great for a particular amount of time. We're speculating that there could be a uh, a recession in our future. We need to make uh, respective uh, concessions now in, in terms of, uh, unfortunately, reducing headcount uh, with respect to these organizations. But it's very interesting where we see the investment in technology. We can even use uh, the previous topic of GTP, and we're releasing a whole new infrastructure uh, into the environment where we need, um, you know, respective machine learning engineers and data scientists 
understanding, utilizing these capabilities and uh, providing competitive intelligence to the organization. But then is it the uh, the other factor of the automation of the employee and that the use of these technologies is uh, in itself uh, one that would require less headcount uh, within a respective organization? But it's interesting that we, uh, you know, review these areas and that we want to really think about um, what does it mean in this industry when we're seeing layoffs, when conversely what we hear, especially in cybersecurity, is that there are millions of jobs that are going unfulfilled. Uh, and it's, it doesn't really seem to balance where organizations, highly profitable, highly successful organizations you know, willing uh, over 5% of their uh, headcount are being uh, basically laid off. And it's one of those areas where I hope that expertise obviously comes back into the market through other organizations that want to harness those types of capabilities and really uh, look at how uh, a business not only can sufficiently hire respectfully uh, and not overhire. In some cases, that's what we've heard is that it's an overhiring. We were, you know, we were too ambitious in the space or we, you know, hired too quickly uh, in order to grow and to align both to our business needs, but also respectfully our talent pool. And uh, here we, you know, ultimately we're going to have to uh, cut back on both uh, future recruitment, but also our current staff, which um, in some cases is is a shame. Obviously, we, we don't want to see that in the industry. Um, and we also want to then think um, of the expansion capability and that have innovations um, replaced respectfully people. Is it, you know, both in the space that there was simply just an expansion uh, at such a great rate that we're not able to uh, absorb uh, necessarily those personnel into uh, the organization. And ultimately, maybe it's a combination. Uh, Again, there's a a nice write-up from Forbes. I'll provide the link in the the notes for this particular podcast uh, that is looking at it, you know, that there could be truth to both. You know, there's this uh, likely case that they simply expanded too far, too quickly, um, and that other innovations have created basically uh, a way that they could save money through an automated capability versus a respective headcount. And uh, again, none of the organizations have uh, basically come out and said, oh, uh, you know, th- these particular tasks, the, what these particular individuals were working on has been transitioned to an automated capability to uh, uh, as the ultimate reason why. Um, but uh, again, respectful to the uh, Forbes um, writer here, it looks like that that could be a driving force. And so there's a, a neat interchange between the two and that we, we want to look at and, and really understand um, what it means to uh, both our uh, work environment, but also how we're going to work with these underlying technologies when they're integrated at these large high-tech organizations, uh, that's going to permeate throughout the market to where, you know, we follow suit. We uh, look at what they're utilizing in terms of uh, creating a competitive edge, uh, and that permeates throughout the market. We want to do the same things because we want to be as competitive uh, with respect to uh, to the organizations that we uh, uh, really look to uh, to provide both technologies, both high-tech technologies, uh, implementation of human resource uh, capabilities, uh, the way they train, the way they practice um, software development, the way they practice cybersecurity, 
and that obviously is a an influence on an organization um throughout the world really all organizations i uh, can see would want to emulate in that space so it'll be something we talk about in a future episode and i just thought it was interesting that uh, as a uh, a topic that we want to cover because obviously it's happening uh, really as we speak uh, we, you know we've seen a number of the large organizations in the technology industry um uh, go through this layoff uh phase uh, and it's um you know, we want to basically provide coverages to the reason why, and then also, um, you know, the underlying effect that that could have on industry and uh, whether that permeates again, not only is it an effect of both of their technology and their capability, but also their actions. Does that have any repercussions um, uh, throughout the, the tech industry itself? So we'll be talking more about that in a future episode. And then the final thing that I wanted to talk about today uh, was we've seen uh, articles, we've even seen legislation talking about quantum or post-quantum uh, cybersecurity, a very interesting topic. Uh, and it's one that is served both through science, uh, it's served through obviously through the Quantum Computing Cybersecurity Preparedness Act uh, that was just uh, recently signed into law uh, at the end of 2022. Uh, and really starting to look and integrate with NIST and, and post-quantum uh, encryption and algorithms that are going to be required in terms of being hardened against the availability of uh, quantum computation power. But we've also seen in that space where the, um, I guess I'll call it the worst fear in the space, is the uh, breaking of current encryption and algorithms utilizing quantum computing. It's, uh, you know, started with Shaw's algorithm and its ability to uh, factor large primes. And we've seen research coming out of China, and that's had a lot of commentary. Um, again, I'll reference uh, Bruce Schneier's uh, review of the respective research paper. And the research with hitting industry has really a translation. There is some highly technical um, information within these documents that require an advanced understanding of math, linear algebra for one, uh, the understanding of how quantum computers work and the quantum mechanics of uh, managing qubits and what that means in terms of quantum computational power and the number of qubits that are needed to representatively break a 2048-bit RSA encryption algorithm. So it's an interesting approach. And, and one of the things that we want to talk about is um, both the legislation of preparation, but then also the research that is going to be coming through and ultimately as we see the vision of moving to quantum computation. So it's ultimately there's, again, we get into, and as I mentioned with the AI capabilities, an element of the fiction versus the reality and how those two, uh, you know, representatively come together is, uh, you know, we're not going to be utilizing quantum computers to write email, basically. You know, I don't expect to see those as desktops in the next 10 years that we're all going to be purchasing, uh, you know, the next quantum computer for our home. But there are specific capabilities that exist in the space, and uh, the applications of those are going to be very interesting uh, over the next few years. Now, in my mind, when I was uh, trying to educate myself in the space, it was uh, some error correction was the ultimate issue and that quantum computational power 
was not necessarily going to be seen as a as a commercial viable entity um, anytime soon. It was not going to be ultimately that uh, major effect on uh, industry, at least within representatively the next five to 10 years, but it seems like the narrative has changed maybe, and that there's more focus, more emphasis. Does that mean that there's more capability in this space, that we're a little bit further along than we thought in terms of getting uh, quantum computation into the hands of uh, uh, government and uh, large organizations? And ultimately, we see services, uh, even the QSKIT uh, capability, QISKIT, I believe, from uh, uh, that allows you to program quantum circuits and understand the utility in this space. Um, so there's a lot of research, a lot of information freely available uh, that we can educate ourselves. Uh, again, I think it's... Um, where we are now in the data age, I think we're going to switch into the quantum age uh, in the future. And as we've seen over time, you know, we've we um, have the term data scientist, and, and that has, you know, over the last few years become, you know, that's the, the thing to be is to understand and manage and analyze data and use and engineer it in such ways that provides, um, you know, competitive intelligence, a competitive edge within the underlying market. And now we're moving to where um, the knowledge of, you know, high level statistics and mathematics um, in terms of understanding data science at its, uh, you know, it's under ultimately at its research level was a requirement is uh, myself, I went through a data science degree in order to be prepared. You know, does that mean now that as we want to be uh, apply quantum computation that we're going to have to, you know, start our maths degrees and physics degrees in order to be viable within the cybersecurity industry to understand the potential in this space. I don't I necessarily, I don't think so, but I do think that we'll need to be versed in the capabilities uh, as well uh, from not only the competitive intelligence perspective, but also how it could be used necessarily nefariously. Um, against our current uh, systems, our current protections, our defense in depth approaches, what is the uh, most likely attack vector? And ultimately, in this case, um, it's the post-quantum cryptography requirement. And there's been a, a lot of work from NIST in the space. Um, they have uh, you know, started to lead the cause, as it were. And it's really, uh, again, through the um, Quantum Computing Cybersecurity Preparedness Act is we're following that process and the um, NIST guidance, which will have to be utilized and understood. And, um, you know, government organizations, federal level, um, applying these particular uh, cryptographic algorithms into uh, their organization. Uh, you know, and those are going to have to be NIST approved. It's going to be the, uh, you know, really the modules. And again, I liken it. It may not be a one-to-one, -one, but the FIPS uh, 140-2 requirement uh, for enabling uh, respective protected and approved uh, cryptographic technologies within an organization. It's following suit in this space, um, but it does bear... Um, understanding and i think uh you know those of us that uh, either have interest or want to keep kind of on the cutting edge as it were or where are we going to be moving to i think there's time that we uh start looking at these things uh, and start educating ourselves as best we can now again this moves into uh, really different areas of uh, the application of a technology you know this is uh, brand new technology this is 
ultimately, I think I've heard this being compared to this is an explosion such as the same as the internet. Uh, and obviously that was a new interconnected networks and technology and how those networks connect to one another. Ultimately today as a cybersecurity professional understanding uh, networking at its most basic level is a prerequisite. Is quantum mechanics or understanding quantum computation the same thing uh, at the, really at a practitioner's level? Not that I think we need to be, you know, professors of quantum cryptography, but uh, I think the more we understand, the more we know, the better we are prepared in order to react and how we would then ultimately implement post-quantum algorithms within our organization in order to protect us from the this inevitability uh, of uh, uh, large prime uh, factors being factored easily through the use of quantum computers. It then it takes me, uh, I'll just reference again, the uh, ultimately the, the headlines that we've seen is, uh, you know, China breaking the quantum barrier in terms of the research that was done um, in terms of uh, disruption to the encryption systems that we see and use every day through uh, banking and really all everything to protect uh, and manage security. Uh, through the encryption algorithm. So what we have here uh, with the respective research is um, the ability to apply a, uh, I the way I've heard it termed is a more efficient approach to factorization um, utilizing a quantum computer than Shaw's algorithm was from a um, an algorithm developed by Schnorr. And hopefully I'm saying that right. Again, the Shaw and then the Schnorr. And those were used um, and applied uh, in terms of looking at research. And I believe, let me, I'm going to reference another paper from Forbes um, where they say that the 2048-bit RSA uh, encryption are very difficult with uh, what we'll call traditional computers to crack. But ultimately, um, the respective team in their research uh, says using this qubit, as I mentioned previously, we need to understand the qubit or the uh, basically binary being a one and a zero at the same time, or possibly a one or a zero until it's measured. Um, Again, I don't pretend to be a quantum physicist, and nor should I, um, at least at my base level of understanding. We have a 372 qubit quantum computer would have the computational power to crack uh, this uh, uh, very hard um, underlying uh, factorization problem. And ultimately, um, we've seen that uh, the application uh, of Schnorr's algorithm at certain levels, certain uh, encryption strengths uh, may not work as intended, uh, but underlying the research was very interesting. I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to understand what was going into this research. And I say um, it kind of tongue-in-cheek understand because the, the, I read the paper and that the mathematics is, is at a, it's higher level mathematics, no question. And it uh, takes a lot of different uh, approaches here. And, but there's ultimately a flow diagram within the paper that shows uh, going through lattice and uh, representatively you'll put a, a large factored prior, uh, number into this system. And then basically you'll get the the, the primes P and Q uh, for anybody that uh, has ever taken an, a cryptography class would be the output of this respective algorithm. 
And so applying it uh, from a, at least a theoretical perspective um, may not be where it should be. Uh, and, you know, we may not have to worry so much that, you know, uh, a 372-bit quantum computer enabled could do this uh, utilizing the particular algorithm that was um, uh, recommended or at least researched and proven, uh, at least through their claims, uh, that it could. Now, ultimately, there's, um, given the fact that this was a more efficient algorithm, uh, ultimately, there's been, and I'll reference the Forbes paper again, I'll provide links, that it would take a 20 million qubit quantum computer to do this, uh, you know, the factorization at the 2048-bit RSA um, uh, encryption. And so one of the things is, you know, where's the balance here? What, what makes sense? Um, ultimately, I think it's uh, going to take some researchers, some uh, academics in order to provide us um, their thoughts in the space and whether or not it uh, ultimately reaches that level. And then where are we in terms of an industry, uh, really in terms of quantum computing, what type of quantum computers are available? Uh, ultimately, we have seen, I I think one of the largest uh, from IBM is Osprey, and I believe that has 433 qubits. So if we think we need 20 million, I think we're a ways off from here uh, in order for our current uh, encryption algorithms to be considered secure. Um, but I think there'll be even more research. There'll be review, uh, maybe refinement of uh, what has been done with current research. And ultimately, we'll get to a space where we um, either understand we need to be worried uh, or ultimately we're going to be pre-prepared and we're going to apply post-quantum um, uh, strength and uh, capability in our space in terms of the algorithms and encryption schemes uh, before we even reach that level where they could even uh, be considered to be insecure. So as we move forward, this will be interesting. We want to uh, obviously address uh, the news and uh, and the possibilities in the space. And uh, again, I think we're going to see a number of years of the hype cycle uh, of the utility of quantum uh, computation and its application in cybersecurity. And so we'll move forward. Again, we, we want to bring you uh, really the news and things that are on our minds and that uh, we think you should be aware of too. So as we get to uh, these topics uh, throughout the next uh, few months. Um, we want to uh, thank you uh, again for listening. Uh, make sure to subscribe uh, to the podcast in all the usual ways. And with that, I'm Sean Atkinson. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.